Last month was prelude to revival. Uh, We had about seven days filled with 13 sermons, intense praying and fellowship and worship. It was an awesome time called prelude to revival. Those things that the church tends to do before revival breaks out. This morning, I want to talk to you about another prelude. As we've been going through the book of Revelation, this morning we're going to talk about prelude to judgment. What is going to happen closer to the end of the world during a tribulation period leading up to the final coming of Christ and the pouring out of wrath and judgment? Well, that's what we're going to look at in this prelude to judgment. Go ahead and turn there. It's in Revelation 15 and 16. Yes, we are going to cover two chapters today. We're going to be here all day. You like that, huh? That's good. We have been in the midst of the middle revelation, and it is, it's tough. It's tough to preach. It's tough to hear. Each week we're talking about judgment, wrath, torture. These are not the, the, the Bible stories that you read to your kids at night. In fact, I'm wondering, how do you even teach your kids about wrath and judgment? I understand that most of you do not have children right now. Perhaps you will in the future. Do you have a plan to teach your children the Bible? whatever it looks like. I would recommend that you start while they're young because if you try to teach your kids the Bible when they get older, there's a lot more pushback. But if you start when they're around, I don't know, one day old and and keep that up, they will be used to it. But how do you teach them about judgment? Well, you can say, well, you're not going to read some of the stories in the Bible. You'll just stick to the stuff like Noah's Ark. Huh, come to think of it, that's a story of judgment where everybody gets wiped out and killed except for Noah and his family. So you won't get far in the Bible without coming across judgment. Well, our family, uh, it's nothing special. We do something called family worship. It's no big deal. Don't feel pressure if you don't do it, but this is what we do. Dinner is over. We go to the living room, and I, uh, we, we start with a song. I'm the worship leader. I lead the song. Uh, it sounds terrible, and I forget most of the words, but it's a great intro. <laughs> then I teach from the Bible, brief, then we pray. That's it. But how do we teach about judgment? Well, recently in our family worship, uh, as I was going through a devotional book, we talked about God's holiness and judgment. And here was the title. God's holiness cannot be in the same place as sin. God's holiness cannot be in the same place as sin. And then we told a story. Is it possible to get close to the sun to scoop out a sample to bring home in a jar. And all the children who are in here, I see you in here, can you do that, yes or no? No. You cannot get close enough to the sun, scoop out a sample in a jar, and bring it home. That, that cannot be done. The sun's surface is so hot, it would burn you up before you even got close. Now transition to talking about God. God's holiness God's holy light, his glory and holiness shines brighter than the sun. 
And just like we can't touch the sun, sinful people still under judgment can't get near to our holy God. Here's the reality. You can avoid it. You cannot read about it. You cannot teach it to your children. You can cut out the pages, rip them out, but God's judgment is all over the Bible. It really is everywhere. And you will not understand his love and his mercy and his grace unless you understand his holy judgment. The cross of Christ will make no sense. The love of Jesus will make no sense. When you walk around telling everybody that you're saved, saved from what? And yes, we're going to talk about judgment and wrath today, but I'm hoping that you will see that there... Included with this is the good news of love from Jesus to rescue you from judgment. And here's going to be my main point today. If you want main points, I rarely give them to you, but here you go. God's wrath will either fall on you or on Christ instead of you. For every human, God's wrath will either fall on you or on Christ instead of you. Got to keep that in mind as we go through these two chapters, 15 and 16 in Revelation. And I'm going to try to keep us organized because we're going through two whole chapters and we're going to fly, and that's okay. But to keep you organized, when we get to chapter 16, it'll be seven points. We'll talk about seven bowls. But in chapter 15, I'm going to break it down for you into three parts. The first part in verses 1 and 2 is God's coming wrath. Verses 3 and 4 is God's character. And verses 5 through 8 is God's plan. Let's do this. Let's start with chapter 15 and start with God's coming wrath. For it is coming. Verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. The wrath of God has been in full effect during the tribulation, the seven-year period before the return of Christ. But now these seven angels with seven plagues will finish it off. Did you see what it says to them? For with them the wrath of God is finished. Now is the time for the, for the full outpouring of wrath. So far it's been a, a third of destruction here and a third of death there. But now it's time for the seven plagues and the final hammer of God's judgment. Verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Perhaps you've seen imagery of people playing harps in heaven. The biblical reality is that these are worshipers, are people who died for their faith in Jesus. These martyrs conquered the enemy by standing firm in the faith. And we know how they conquered from Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. They died, and yet we are told they won. And now we're going to look at their worship. So we start off with, okay, God's wrath is coming. And the question you've got to ask is, why is God's wrath coming? Well, it's based upon who God is in his character. 
Now we will see God's character. Verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. This is a combined song or a combo song or, or the greatest mashup ever uh, of two songs, of the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb combined together. The song of Moses celebrates the deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses is praising God for the deliverance and the judgment on the Egyptians. While the song of the Lamb recounts the ultimate deliverance out of sin through Jesus. And the song, this mashup, this combo, focuses on the character of God and his mighty works. Look at the rest of verse 3. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Once again, the character. God is almighty. He's the king of the nations. But he's not a ruthless ruler, but one who is just and true in all his ways. And the appropriate response of his people in all of heaven is reverence and worship. Verse 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. God has worked through his son, Jesus Christ, to save the nations. And he is a holy God who took the initiative to turn away his wrath from repentant sinners and put it upon his son instead. So there's this healthy fear and awe before God where they are worshiping him in his holiness and his righteous acts. Let's stop. I want to make sure you understand the context. This, this is why we preach to the whole Bible. This is why we don't leave stuff out. Because I'm never going to pick these as isolated sermons to preach. Are, do you understand what it's saying here? I mean, this, this should really push against you. They are worshiping God for his judgments. They're worshiping God for his wrath poured out on unbelievers. They're worshiping God for his vindication. Internally, does that bother you? Does that bother you? Like, oh, they're worshiping because he is slaughtering and killing millions. Does that bother you? Well, I think there's two emotions that we should have toward people without Christ. And here they are. The first emotion is this. There should be a deep compassion in you for those that you know who do not know Jesus Christ, even those who may be your enemies, that you would want to pray with them, that you would want to share the gospel with them. Last night, my, my 17-year-old, uh, Karis, and I were, were talking about people who don't know Jesus, and we were having those, one of those deep theological conversations about predestination, which I'm sure that you guys have as well. Right? Predestination. God choosing some and not others. Why does he do that? Why not? What was he based that upon? We're just talking about predestination. And she was telling me about, you know, most people at her school don't know Jesus. And we were wondering who's predestined and who's not predestined. But we came to the conclusion that it really does us no good to wonder who is predestined and who is not predestined because I don't know that. You don't know that. And that could be a deep theological conversation into the night. But I do know 
that your responsibility and my responsibility is to share the gospel with people who do not know Jesus. And I want to tell you this, and I want this to be an eye-opener for you. Did you know that you're around people right now, and perhaps for the rest of their life, they will never, ever be around another legit Christian? That right now, you know people who do not know Jesus. You're a legit Christian. And as this phase passes in their life and in your life, they will never be around another legit Christian for the rest of their life. Maybe that's going to be the case. And it's you. And you can ponder predestination. You can think. You can go to work with them. and and You can look at them and go... Are you predestined? Do you look predestined? Do you feel predestined? Or you can share the gospel with them. And and rather than saying, God, did you predestine this person? No, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Christ. And my daughter has seen so many awesome things. She's like, I'm around people every day at my school who do not know Jesus. She's like, this is my chance. And I would say the same to you, no matter what phase of life you're in, this is your chance. So that's one emotion we should have toward unbelievers. But the second emotion may disturb you a bit. There will come a time in the future where we will worship God for pouring out his wrath on us unbelievers. That's in the future. We'll worship him for that, for vindicating, for delivering his saints. And one of the reasons, this is a deep theological study here. We will worship God for pouring out his wrath because one of the reasons we'll worship him is because if he pours out, out his wrath, it displays his holiness and it displays his justice. And we'll say, praise you, God, for displaying your holiness and your justice. Once again, God's wrath is being poured out. The fullness is coming. That wrath will either fall on you or in Christ instead of you. The same with the people you hang with. It will fall on them or on Christ instead of them. Now is the time for great compassion and sharing with people who do not know Jesus. Well, let's look at God's plan. It's about to get brutal. It is about to get brutal. Wrath is coming. God's character is about to get brutal. Verse 5. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke, from the glory of God and from his power, and no one can enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Boom! It's like the Holy of Holies is busted open. Seven angels are sent from his presence to punish evildoers. They are sent out with these seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, which will be manifested, we'll see, in the seven plagues. And right now, no one can come into the presence of God because smoke is filling glory of God from his power. Now, we're about to transition. I told you we're moving fast. We're moving to chapter 16 now, and I want you to think about birth pangs. Birth pangs. 
Just as birth pangs get faster and stronger before the delivery of a baby, so they get faster and stronger before the return of Christ. One of my favorite pastors, Tommy Nelson, favorite preachers, explains it this way. So far we've talked about the seals, right? We've talked about the trumpets, and we've talked about the bowls. We're about to talk about the bowls. So think of it this way, okay? You ready? The seals. Remember birth pangs, faster, stronger. The seals. There's seven of them. It went like this. One, two, three, four, five, six, break before the seventh seal. Then we moved into the trumpets, and they got faster and stronger. One, two, three, four, five, six, there was a break in between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. Now we're about to move into the bowls, and there will be no break until the return of Christ, and the pangs will be faster and stronger like this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, there's the baby. Right? Christ is coming back. Judgment in full effect. Because it says, these are the last judgments. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. These are the final judgments. It's time for this angel to be sent to pour or to dump the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now, if you remember back in Revelation 5, we had the prayers, remember this, the prayers of the saints. The imagery was that these prayers are going up as bowls of incense before God. Now, as these prayers are going up of the saints before God, now the bowls of judgment get dumped, and they come down, and they descend quickly with great force. But right now, well, we're just minding our own business. This doesn't seem like judgment or wrath is coming. We're just kind of doing our thing. We read it here, it's coming. We see that it's coming. But does anybody really expect judgment and wrath to come on you or of this world? Really? Come on. You weren't even thinking about judgment and wrath until you came here this morning. I was reading this story by, by David Strain. It was a really cool story. Maybe you've heard of this story. It's not made up. It's for real. It's about this woman who lived in London. And on her coffee table was a flower vase, which was actually an unexploded shell from World War I. <laughs> she found it when she dug it up at her school when she was 15, and she had been using it for 30 years as a flower vase. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? So one day, she's watching TV, and she saw a report about unexploded bombs. Can you just imagine this? She's like watching TV. She's looking at her face. She's like, I'm wondering if that's what that is. So she calls the police. They come over, bomb squad and everything. And indeed, it was an unexploded bomb that could kill anyone within a 20-meter radius. That's what Revelation 16 is for the world. That's what it is for you. It's a wake-up call that judgment is just around the corner. Things look great. The flowers smell good. That's a beautiful vase. But just around the corner, judgment and wrath is coming, even though it doesn't feel like that right now. Everything seems normal. But judgment and wrath is coming. It's no time to be admiring the ways of the world and sin because judgment is coming. Let's do it. Let's go through these bowls. This is it. The first bowl, verse 2. I'll go very fast. Verse 2. 
So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Does that sound familiar to you, remember? Um, the, the painful sores that came upon the Egyptians during the time of the plagues? And just as the sores infected only the Egyptians and not the Israelites, so the sores here do not infect the believers, but only those who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image, which is a reference to unbelievers. That's bowl one. Now the second bowl is dumped. Verse three. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. Now the sea becomes blood, and all the sea creatures died. It's like a, a creation, God gave life, but now at the end of the world, death is everywhere. Third bowl, verse 4. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. This is brutal. I mean, now the, the rivers and the springs of water become blood, and the unbelievers are drinking blood water. Someone has called this blood as beverage. God is giving unbelievers blood to drink. How can a loving and a merciful and a kind God do that? Once again, you can rip these pages out of your Bible. You can refuse to teach them to your children, or you can ask yourself the question, how can God do this? Let me understand it. Well, in the context here, it says it's what they deserve. Verse 5 tells us that God is just and holy for bringing these judgments. Verse 6, look what it says. It's what they deserve. It's payback time, for they shed the blood of the saints and prophets. This, this is the only appropriate response to unrepentant sinners. See, God is only going to judge those who deserve it. It's true. And all of us deserve it. But the reality is, is that his wrath is either going to fall on you, or on Jesus instead of you. That's why Jesus is good news. That's why his love is good news. His grace is good news because it turns away the wrath of God and restores this relationship with him. That's how it's good news. Wrath will come on you or on Christ. You pick. You pick. Fourth bowl. Fourth bowl. Let's pick it up here. Fourth bowl. Verse 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Don't think of a bad sunburn here. Think of a fierce heat and fire coming from the sun, scorching unbelievers. And the unbelievers do not repent and give him glory, but instead... They cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They realize God is doing this, but rather than repent, they curse God. Uh, Someone once said it like this. Let me me read this to you. I'll put it up for you. Two Two statements atheists make are, first, there is no God. Second, I hate him. That's what's going on right here. God, you're the one doing us to this. 
curse you. Rather than repent and find grace and mercy, they curse God. Fifth bowl. The fifth, fifth angel poured out his bowl. This is verse 10 and 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Here we have darkness, just like one of the plagues in Egypt. People are now gnawing their tongues in anguish from the sores and related problems. Once again, they're cursing God and refusing to repent of their deeds. Are you putting this together? Painful sores, drinking blood water, death of the sea creatures, scorching heat, lights turned out, people are gnawing their tongues, but they're not repenting. Instead, they are cursing God. Sixth bowl, verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the frost, false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Six bowls poured out. The great river Euphrates is dried up to make way for the kings from the east to gather for the last and final battle of evil versus God. These kings are incited by the demonic. And here is the unholy trinity of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, which is likely Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, who is the sidekick of the Antichrist. They are depicted of having these demonic frogs come out of their mouth to stir up the kings of the whole world to gather together on the great day of the Almighty. There's going to be this ultimate battle on Mount of Megiddo, which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, you get this. This is actually a place, um, and it's more of a plain than a mountain, uh, of many of Israel's battles in the past. It's either symbolic of the great final battle or it's actually going to take place at this location. There's a lot here. We could spend forever talking about this. You can study this more uh, on your own later. But I want you to see the part there where um, Jesus is talking to you. Did you see it in verse 15? Behold, red letters, right? Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. I don't want to be graphic here, but are you clothed? Are you ready for the battle, the final battle? Or are you exposed? Are you naked? Uh, to put it another way, uh, as, are, are you cool with Christ coming back today? Are you cool with that? Are you cool with Christ coming back? Or are you uh, ashamed of the way you're living and you may say, Pastor, don't try to scare me with Jesus coming back to um, motivate holiness. Well, you know, the Bible does that often. It tells us to live a holy life. And one of the motivations it gives us is that Christ is coming back. And if you are truly saved by, by God's grace and the faith in Jesus Christ, you'll want to walk in a holy life. And one of the ways that you're motivated to holiness is that, hey, Christ is coming back. And so I ask you again, are you cool 
with Christ coming back today? Or is there some stuff that you're into right now that would be really embarrassing if he came back? Kind of ashamed? Or maybe you've been distracted? You are to actually use the return of Christ that's going to happen almost as a wake-up call and as a wake-up call to spur on holiness, to spur on self-examination, to spur on say, hey, am I really following Christ right now? Am I distracted? Am I into something else? Yeah, Christ is coming back. Are you clothed or are you naked? It can be really embarrassing, right? It's not what you want. Christ is saying, get ready, I'm coming. And now here it is, the seventh and last bowl. It's almost over. Verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great, to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people <laughs> and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. The seventh bowl is dumped into the air followed by a loud voice from heaven and I'm going to tell it to you two or three times. I want you to see it there in verse 17. You see it there, those three words. It is done. It is done. The three words that believers cherish right now are the words from Jesus from the cross, it is finished, right? It is finished. He dealt with sin. He dealt with Satan. He dealt with death, buried, rose again. You turn to him, you are forgiven, and you celebrate the words, it is finished. But if you are not a believer, the three most horrifying words that you will ever hear are, it is finished done. The fullness of wrath has come. There is now going to be this final and ultimate separation between you and God in an everlasting torment in hell. I'm not making this stuff up. You, if you don't like it, cut stuff out of your Bible. I'm not cutting it out of mine. Once again, back to this conversation my daughter and I were having last night. We were wondering, you know, if this stuff is real, why pick and choose? If it's real, if Jesus is real, really came back from the dead, then we've got to be all in. It makes no sense to pick and choose the parts of the Bible you'll take and the ones you won't take. And right now, we are seeing great wrath being poured out in the horrific words to unbelievers, it is done. And yet there's grace and there's good news and there's mercy where you can embrace the words, it is finished from Christ on the cross. So if you think about this, this is happening. God's wrath is being poured out now. Romans 1, we can talk about the future judgment. If it's happening, there are people in your life right now that need to know. Friends, family, people you work with, they need to know. They need to know Jesus. And, and what, if, what if you knew that they will never, ever come in contact with a legit Christian again? You're the last one. You, you may be 19 
And they're never going to meet a legit Christian again. It's you. And in time is now. And, and you're going to tell them good news. You've got to tell them good news. God loves you. You go, well, I thought God was about to kill me with wrath. I mean, he loves me. Well, he sent his son Jesus to rescue you. That is love. That's why it's called good news. But I also want to speak to all of you in here who are believers. This is some pretty serious stuff. There's this verse in the book of Hebrews that says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Did you hear his voice today? From the word. Did the spirit speak to you from the word? Did you hear his voice? And if so, do not harden your hearts. Three, even these opportunities as believers that we have opportunities to confess, examine ourselves, and, and five, find forgiveness. Once again, in, in, in Christ. It doesn't mean we're saved all over again. It's just that there's this continual repentance and grace. And if you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. Because ultimately, God's wrath is either going to fall on you or on Christ instead of you. And if you are in Christ and you cherish the words, it is finished, you're saved and you are safe and you are loved. But the word still goes to you. If you heard his voice today, do not harden your hearts. Are there some things going on in your life where you've hardened your heart toward another person or there's a sin you're into or a way that you've hardened your heart? If you've heard his voice today, do not harden your hearts. Even as believers, there's continual grace and mercy and forgiveness in Jesus. And may you find safety and joy and peace in him right now. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we know that when we come to uh, books such as this and chapters such as this, these two, it can be brutal. It can be, we can ask a lot of questions. We get scared for our friends or people who don't know you. But Lord, help us to remind ourselves that there is indeed good news. There's good news now. There's good news now to those in this room who are not believers right now. There's good news now for them. Jesus is calling them to, to receive grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And I just ask for, uh, if there's any unbelievers in here, that they, would, they wouldn't harden their heart. They would receive the grace and mercy and forgiveness that's in the cross of Christ for them. And that they would turn from their life and hand their entire life over to you. And I also ask for my brothers and sisters, even for myself, that as we hear your voice today, that we wouldn't harden our hearts. We realize that you are coming back. And we want to enjoy our relationship with you. And if there's things that are blocking that right now, Lord, do, do work in us. If there's choices that we're making, attitudes that we're having that are blocking us, do work in us. They would not point the finger at others, but point at our own hearts and let you soften us so that we can walk with you and know you, and follow you. And Lord, may we cherish the words, it is finished. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen.